Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Today we're going to conclude our series called Reputation. We've been talking about this for a few weeks. We had a little break last week with Pastor Tony Suarez. Uh, if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and watch that. Just an incredible weekend. I think we had 20 salvations. We had confirmed physical healings in-house. Uh, God did some amazing things last week. So if you missed that, go back and, and check it out. I promise it'll be a blessing to you. But to wrap this series up with the idea of reputation, that is the way other people uh, perceive us. It's their opinion of us. But we've been kind of spinning that to self-reputation because the way we see ourselves can make us or break us. And to conclude this series, I'm going to call this message Set Free From Me. Set Free From Me. Just hit your neighbor and tell them that real quick. Set Free From Me. All right. That will make sense, I promise. In a few moments, that will make sense to you. The Bible teaches us that we have three main enemies that try to destroy our life. Uh, the obvious, Satan. We're we very familiar with Satan, the devil, who uh, is against us. But the Bible also talks about the world, and it also talks about the flesh. Satan, the world, and the flesh. The world comes around us many times. Satan is against us, but the true battle is in us. Um, now, I'll, I'll take it a, a step further. Satan is not your biggest enemy. The world is not your biggest enemy. You are your biggest enemy. I'm going to rephrase it. You are your biggest problem. Aren't you glad you came to church? <laughs> so the devil gets a lot of blame, man. Other people in our life get a lot of blame. But you are your biggest problem. And many times we try to run from our problems and we go play, you can jump on a plane and go to Cancun, but the problem is, is that you take you with you. And so you can't get away from it. There's an internal battle that, that is happening within all of us. And the battle is what Paul outlines as two natures. As a believer, once you give your life to Christ, you are now identified with Christ, you have the nature of Christ, but I think all of us understand we still wrestle with the old nature. We still wrestle with desires that are wrong, impulses, and we're going we're gonna to talk about some of that today. Uh, and and this, this battle between the two natures, one that identifies with Adam, the other identifies with Christ, because of this internal battle that takes place, it creates tension in our life. We want to be pleasing to God, yet we struggle with this. Or we don't want to struggle with this, but we struggle with this. And, and the Apostle Paul, he, he struggled with it too. Here's what he said in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He said, I do not understand what I do. How many of you have ever felt like that? Like, I just don't understand me. Like, I don't want to do that, yet I do it. And, and, then, and we find ourselves in this tug of war between trying to do what God is telling us to do and, and what God wants us to do versus what we want to do. Uh, and, and so Paul says, I can't figure myself out. 
And that is everyone's story. We all can identify with the Apostle Paul because we all know more than we do. How many of you understand it's not a knowledge problem? If we could actually do everything we know, we would be a whole lot further down the road, right? We'd be much more successful if we could actually apply everything that we already know. The old nature, though, wants to do what's easy, what's convenient, what's quick, but the new nature wants to do what's best, what's, what's best for your life, what, what is God's best for you. Uh, and I'm just going to bust a myth up front. In life, you can't have it all. Advertisers you know, won't tell you that, but in life, you can't have it all because life is about choices. And we have to live with the result of choices that we make every single day. Most of the unhappiness that people experience in this life is because they listen to themselves instead of listening to God. They take their own counsel, their own advice, instead of looking at what the Word of God says. And we've all heard the phrase, weapons of mass destruction. I want to I spin that a little bit and, and give you a list, seven things, and then I'm going to talk about how to overcome these seven but I want to give you a list of seven weapons of self-destruction. Seven weapons of self-destruction. These things will destroy your life. So if you're taking notes, you might want to. This is going to be a note-taking day. Is that all right? Can I teach today? Or do y'all need me to? Hey. All right. <laughs> we can do that too. Um, but, but I want you to write these down. It, it, you know, if you're taking notes, if you're not taking notes, write them down. Okay, here we go. Number one, shame. Shame is a self-destructive weapon. It is impossible for you to be happy and be ashamed at the same time. And a lot of people love Jesus, yet still deal with shame. Okay, we're going to talk about how to overcome that in just, in just a few minutes. The second is uncontrolled thoughts, uncontrolled thoughts. If you don't learn how to control your, your own thought life, you can ruin your life. The scripture is very clear that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So I have to learn how to control my thoughts. The third weapon of self-destruction is compulsions. Compulsions are those inner desires, the inner drives that we have. Uh, now, you may, you may phrase them as lust, as habits as impulses. They're the things that you just feel like, I have to do that. Even if it's wrong, I just have to do it. Those are compulsions. We can overcome those. The fourth weapon is fear. Fear is interesting because it is a destroyer of happiness. Fear actually paralyzes you. You can't move forward when you're afraid. You can't move forward into the things of God, the purposes of God, the vision he has for your life. Fear keeps you stuck in a, in a place in life, but we can't overcome it. I'm going to give you how to do that in, in just a few minutes. The, the fifth is hopelessness. Hopelessness is interesting because it keeps you from keeping on. That's what hopelessness do, does. It, if you're hopeless in your marriage, you throw in the towel on the marriage. If you're hopeless in your health, you, you just give up. Hopeless and fine, and just give up. It'll never change, never get better. We, we turn inward with hopelessness, and it robs us of God's plan. The sixth weapon of self-destruction, and we're going to hit this in detail over the next few weeks uh, in a new sermon series, 
uh, but it's bitterness. Everybody say bitterness. Man, this one robs so many people of, of what God has for them because life is unfair um, and we feel like maybe somebody else got something that we didn't get and, and, and it robs us. It, it, we get stuck because of it. And, and the truth is, you can't live life without drinking a cup of sorrow. At some point, you will experience sorrow, pain, suffering, and you have to choose, will I be bitter or will I get better? Yeah. It's a response that, that you have to make to life. Because the truth is, we all go through, can I say, well, I won't say it. All right, I just thought it. Here's, here's a great, I, I had a compulsion just now. <laughs> but I didn't say it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> bitterness. And, and here's the thing about bitterness. You never hurt other people with your bitterness like you hurt yourself. Man, that's so good. That'll preach. I mean, you get mad and you say all this stuff. You go on Facebook and talk about You do all this stuff and don't realize that all your energy and all your time and all your effort to get them back or to do A, B, and C, it's not hurting anybody as much as it's hurting you. So you got to choose to be better instead of getting bitter. The seventh weapon of self-destruction is insecurity. And we have to deal with this one because when you are insecure, you do foolish things. You say foolish things. You, 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 you try to impress people. You pose. The problem is, is that the only people who are impressed with you when you are insecure are other posers. Like real authentic people see right through your insecurity. And so you've got to learn how to overcome that. And, and, and so Romans chapter 7, if you, if you look at Romans 7, you will see Paul's struggle. And it's not just Paul's struggle, it's our struggle. It, it, it details how we have this battle, this tension going on within us. But Romans 8 outlines, the chapter, chapter 8 of Romans outlines how we overcome what Paul's talking about in Romans 7. If you just read Romans 7, you'd be real depressed if you stopped. Because it looks like, man, Paul's just messed up. Look at what he says in Romans 7, 24. He sums it up by saying, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul is saying, I have tried everything and nothing helps. I am still messed up. I'm still depressed. I still got a war going on on the inside of me. I've watched Oprah. I went to Tony Robbins' seminar. I, I've done all these different things, and nothing's working for me. If you stop there, you'd think there's no hope. But if you, if you keep reading, you find out. He says this. He says, what will free me from this life dominated by sin? I, I, I want you to notice. He says, he doesn't say what will free me. He says, who? will free me. And I love that because it, 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 it's not a, a pill you can take, it's not a book you can read, it's not a seminar that you can attend that's going to help you to, to get set free from yourself. It's not a what, it is a who, and that who is Jesus Christ. He, he is the one that helps us come out of a, a, of a self destructive mindset so that we can operate in the plan of God. And so Romans 7 is the problem. Romans 8 is the answer. And, and, the, and what we need to know before I give you these seven 
phrases I'm going to give you to help you overcome these seven areas that are self-destructive is that the Spirit of God, if you are a believer, is living on the inside of you, and he, he is the antidote to all seven of these negative emotions, all right? So we'll just start there. Number one, I must rem remind myself daily what Jesus did for me. I have to remind myself every day what Jesus did for me. This is, this is the answer to shame. If you are dealing with shame in your life, regret, you know, just I, I, I'm guilty, and, and, but, but you love Jesus, this, this is your answer. I've got to remind myself every day what Jesus has done. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, for the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature, but God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So, so Paul starts it out by saying that if you are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. And I, I love that because God doesn't judge you for all the things that you do wrong because he took out that judgment on Jesus. God doesn't judge you because he already judged sin at the cross. How many are thankful for Jesus that he took the punishment? And, and, and <laughs> the reason we live in shame is because we think we need payment for our wrongs. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we, we need to be paid back. I did this, so I deserve that. But the problem that, 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 that we don't see, it's not really a problem. The answer is, is that God has already received payment for your sins. That's what the cross was. That was payment for every sin, every past, every present, every future sin. Payment was received in Jesus. But, but Paul, he sums this thing up. He says, this is for those who are in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. All right, so if you're not in relationship with Jesus, that don't apply to you. That means you should probably feel condemned. But if you love Jesus and you're in a relationship with Jesus, guess what? No condemnation because God has already received payment for your sin. I don't have to live in shame and live with my head in the sand. I can live with, with joy and peace and my head up because God judged my sin 2,000 years ago. He took out... He received payment then. And so Paul doesn't say that I'm not going to make mistakes. The truth is, even after you get saved, you make mistakes. The Bible says that if a person says they are without sin, it says that uh, they are a liar. So all these holy people walking around pointing their finger like, you bad, you bad, you bad. Well, you're bad too. <laughs> all right? If you don't believe that, Scripture just says you're a liar. All right? So everybody falls, everybody stumbles. It, it, never, it doesn't say that we'll never mess up. It just says that there's no condemnation. The next part of the verse says, for the power of the life-giving spirit, that's talking about the Holy Spirit, has freed you through Jesus Christ from the power of sin that leads to death. 
And, and what this verse means, it means I have a power in my life that is greater than willpower. See, the, the, the Christians struggle because they think this is all about willpower. I got to will myself to be a better person. I got I to will myself to do A, B, and C. And a lot of people are relying on willpower to change instead of the power of the Holy Spirit. They haven't figured out how to tap into the power that is on the inside of them. There is a new power in you. When you come into a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence on the inside of you and says, there is a new sheriff in town, and it's not about your willpower. It's about my power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives on the inside of you. So it's not about what you can bring to the table. It's about what he's already brought to the table. And so it's not just willpower, it's, it's, a, it's the power of God in you. And he goes on to say the law of Moses could not save us because our sinful nature. So keeping uh, God's laws does not save us. And, and, and here's the thing, you can have a guy say, uh, I know I'm going to heaven. And you say, well, why do you know that? And if he responds back by saying, because I keep the Ten Commandments, I want to encourage you to ask a follow-up question. Okay? You got to do this for me. And when you do this, I want you to call me and tell me about it. <laughs> All right? I want you to follow it up by saying, um, name them. Yeah. That's real good. The reason I, I, the, <laughs> the reason I say that is because if you can't name them, how are you keeping them? I, I, I'm ahead of myself, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. When, I, when we get to heaven... We're not going to say, I got here because I did all the right things. When we get to heaven, we're going to say, I got here, and we're going to point over to Jesus and say, because he did all the right things. That, that, that's how that's going to go. Not that I did all the right things. He did all the right things. It's kind of like um, me bringing a pig up here. Y'all, please don't do that. I don't plan on it, but we'll see. If I bring a pig up here who's been rolling around in the mud, eating garbage, and, and stunk, you know, all pigs stink, we know that. And I brought a pig up here and asked you, what is this? Everybody would say, that's a pig. Now, if I were to take that same pig backstage and throw him in a bubble bath, I'm talking like bubble bath, <laughs> and scrub that pig, brush his teeth, uh, I mean, dry him off good, I mean, put some lotion, some of that bath and body work stuff all, all over that pig, a little eyeshadow, some lipstick, and then march the pig back out here and say, what is this? You'd say, that's still a pig, pastor. The point I'm making is that you may have spiffed up the outside, but the nature has remained unchanged. See, really, oh, I'm about to preach now. I may need to go, hey. All right. See, a lot of us, we're in religion. We're only doctoring up the outside. We're trying to change behavior through willpower, but the nature hasn't changed. It's not about your willpower and your ability to keep rules. It's about your willingness to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit because it's not about you. It's about Jesus and his power moving on the inside of your life that produces true change. Listen. A lot of people are coming to this church, and, 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 and I, I'm going to be real honest with you. They're coming because they have been exposed to religion so long, and they've only been told, stop that. 
Don't do that. Wear this. Don't wear that. And, and, and it's all in this attempt to dress up something that is not changing on the inside, like the pig I was talking about. We're just doctoring a bunch of stuff up, but there's no true change. How many know that? Are you glad to be a part of a church where you can belong before you believe? And we'll allow the Holy Spirit to do what he does. We'll do what we do, but we're going to let the Holy Spirit do what he does. I'm spending way too long on this point. All right, let's do this. Number two, I asked the Holy Spirit to give me better thoughts. This, this helps us with the uncontrolled thoughts. So I, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to give me better thoughts. Romans 8, 5, and 6. Those who live in, in according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Paul's talking about two mindsets. There's the mindset of the old nature, who you were before Christ, and there's the minds, mindset of the Holy Spirit who takes up residence once you receive Christ. And so there's a mindset of the way I normally think about life, but there's also a mindset that the Holy Spirit has about my life. And, and we have to ask which one is gonna be true for us? Are we gonna operate according to the old nature and to the way we see our life, or are we going to operate based on what the Holy Spirit is saying? Paul says the mind of the old nature or the sinful man is death, but the mind that is controlled by the Holy Spirit is life and peace. See, the Holy Spirit is the answer to uncontrolled thoughts that you have. And, and this is also the principle of replacement. Everybody say replacement. The principle of replacement is anytime you want to change something in your life and you're serious about changing it, it's not about just resisting something. A lot of times, I, well, I'm not doing that anymore. It's bad. I don't want to do it, so I'm going to resist. The problem is, is what you focus on is what you do. And if you're only thinking about, I won't do that anymore, I'll, I'll say it this way. Whatever you resist persists. We have to replace that. So it's not enough to say, you know what, I'm not doing that anymore because it's not good for me, but I'm gonna invite the Holy Spirit to give me better thoughts. Thoughts that are pleasing to God, thoughts that honor God, thoughts that serve other people. The Holy Spirit, what we have to understand, Satan gives you ideas, that's called temptation. The Holy Spirit gives you ideas, that's called inspiration. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you and give you the right kind of thoughts. Third thing I got to do is I realize I have a new ability to say no. Now, this is, this is awesome right here because this deals with compulsions. Look at what Romans says, Paul said in Romans 8, verse 9. He said, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are now controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ living in them does not belong to Christ. Romans 8, 12 says, so dear brothers, you have no obligations anymore to your old sinful nature to do what it begs you to do. So I have to remind myself every day, I have a new ability to say no to things that I couldn't say no to before. I'm gonna be real honest with you. Before I had Jesus in my life, the Holy Spirit in my life, there were some things in my life that I did not have the power to say no to. 
I'm the only one I know. There were some things I did not have the power. I didn't have the willpower to say no to it. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit came into my life that I then have the power to say no to certain compulsions that I had. And, and, and so many of us understand that, that, that we, we, we struggle with certain things until we remind ourselves that we have a new ability to say no. And it's not just willpower. It's not just changing the behavior. It's understanding that the Holy Spirit is power. He's power for us to change from the inside out. Paul said in Galatians 5, verse 16, let the Spirit direct your lives and you will not satisfy the desires of the old human nature. It doesn't say I won't have the desires of the old nature. That's not what it says. It says I will not satisfy those desires. So, so let's walk that out. In other words, I get saved, I love Jesus, I come to church, I sing the songs, raise my hands, I say amen to the preaching, but the truth is, I still have desires that are wrong. I, I still have this tension in my life between the old nature and the new nature. So you, you may say, well, Pastor, do I still have temptations? Absolutely. You will still have temptations. Will you still have some of the same urges and compulsions? Yes. Do you fulfill them? No, because God has now given you a new ability to say no. And I've heard some people, they struggle with the concept of this because they feel like anything that they desire, they, they, why would I rein that in? Like, why, why would I keep that down at, or keep it at bay. If it's a desire that I have, shouldn't I just roll with it? Well, not everything that you desire is good for you. I mean, I might desire to punch you in the face. Come on, you've had that impulse before. But how I many know that's not good for your nose? It's not good for me, to my witness. You may have a desire to cuss people out on the freeway. Oh, to be a fly in your car. Maybe not cuss, just one of those fingers. Did I say that out loud? See, I may have a desire, an impulse, a compulsion. That doesn't mean that it's good for me. A lot of people struggle with that, and they're like, you know, if, if, why, should I, why shouldn't I just go with it, Pastor, if I have a desire? It's called maturity. It's called maturity. Maturity is when you do the right thing, not what you feel like doing. Maturity is doing the right thing even when it's not convenient. That's what it means to mature in your faith. If everybody did what they wanted to do no matter what, just what was natural. How many know, I know tomorrow, most people have tomorrow off, but on Tuesday, nobody would be at work. Like, I feel like sleeping in. I'd rather put my toes in the sand. Come on, somebody, y'all know what I'm talking about. If everybody just did whatever they desired to do, it doesn't mean that it's good for us. So we, can, we have a new ability to say no to certain things. When Jesus comes into your life, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you have a new ability to say no to things. Number four, I need to turn my thoughts to God whenever I'm afraid. 
Obviously, this is dealing with fear. One of the self-destructive um, things in our life is fear. Look at what Romans 8, verses 14 through 16 says. Those who are led by God's Spirit are God's children. For the Spirit that God has given you does not make you slaves and cause you to be afraid. Instead, the Spirit makes you God's children. And by the Spirit's power, we cry out to God, Father, my Father. God's Spirit joins himself to our spirits to declare that we are children of God. Now, this whole thing, my fa father, my father, it's an Aramaic word that, that means Abba. And uh, it's really like a newborn child saying dada for the first time. That our spirit connects with God's spirit and we understand that he is daddy, he is father. And, and part of the reason why we, we don't have to live in fear is because of whose family we are now in. And this is powerful to understand that God is, is your father. And, and I don't know how you are as a dad. If you're a dad, you know there is a protective side to being a father. You want to make sure your family's safe. Specifically, you want to make sure your children are safe. And so there is a protective nature as a father. And that's the same kind of nature God has with you. And, and, and that helps to neutralize any kind of fear in our life. But a lot of people, they, they struggle with fear and one of the, the number one fears, and there's a lot of fears people have, but one, one that's on the top of the list is a fear, all right, that their life is out of control, that they can't control their life. That is a major fear for people. And, and the reason it is is because when we feel like our life is out of control, have you ever had a season when you felt like your life was out of control? Okay, like three of you. I'll talk to you three. But when you feel like your life is out of control, you, sometimes you'll say things like, I think I'm losing my mind. I think I'm going crazy. I, I want to put all you people that have ever said, I'm losing my mind, I'm going crazy, look out, I'm, I'm you know, completely cuckoo and all that kind of stuff. Listen, crazy people don't care that they're going crazy. They're crazy and just happy. So if you're the person that says, I'm going crazy, I'm losing my mind, it means you're rational, all right? It means you're rational. It mean, means you're normal. And, and, and what we have to understand that will put us at ease, watch this, I may be broken, but I'm not crazy. I want you to hit your neighbor real quick and say, you may be broken, but you're not crazy. Come on, that's the wrong neighbor. Come on, hit somebody and say, you may be broken, but you're not crazy. Our spirit identifies with God's spirit that you and I are children of God. And if we know we're children of God, we just know daddy's gonna take care of us. That's what it boils down. Daddy's got this. Daddy's gonna fight our battles. Daddy's gonna protect us. And so God wants you to know as a child of God, you don't have to live with fear. Number five, focus on long-term, not short-term. This deals with hopelessness. People who feel hopeless. Romans 8, 17, since we are his children, we will possess the blessings he keeps for his people, and also we will possess with Christ what God has kept for him. For if we share Christ's suffering, we will also share his glory. I consider that what we suffer at this present time cannot be compared at all with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. We have to think long-term, not short-term. There's this little university you may have heard of 
They call it Harvard. They, <laughs> they did a study, and they found out that the more long-term your thinking is, the more successful you become, the more long-term. Unfortunately, a lot of us only live for the moment. We only live for the now. But it, this study has proven that the more long-term we live, the more successful we become. People who fail in life oftentimes have short-term thinking. As Christians, we should be able to do this one hands down because we're not living for this life, we're living for eternity. So if anybody should be good at long-term thinking, it should be Christians who are not just living for the, even the next 30 years, we're, we're living for the next billion years because we understand what we do in this life affects the life to come. When, you, when you're able to think long-term, you're able to endure short-term pain. See, hopelessness is when you, wanna, you just want to give up on stuff. You don't see a way out, and so you just quit. And so people quit things all the time. They quit their marriages. They quit their job. They, they quit on uh, taking care of their own body, all because they're hopeless. But if we get long-term thinking, it helps us to endure short-term pain. And so the Bible says that when you get to heaven, you're going to get rewarded based on what you did with what God put in your hands. And how many know that's just not about, you know, May the 26th. We, we need to be thinking about, you know, you hear, you know, business owners will say, what, what do you see yourself doing in five years? We need to be thinking five years, 10 years, 20 years, because God is going to reward us based on what we did with what he put in our hands. It's called the stewardship of life. What did we do with our talent? What did we do with our treasure? What did we do with the gifts God has given us? Did we use them to, to honor him and to build others up, to extend his kingdom? There's a reward attached to that. So we, we have to come out of our pity party sometimes and realize that it's not just about the short term, but there are long-term benefits to doing it the right way. That's a good place for somebody to say amen right there. All right. So, number six, number six, remind myself that God is good and in control. This deals with bitterness. Bitter seasons, I have to remind myself God is good and God is in control. This is how God sets us free from bitterness. Paul takes time in, in the book of Romans chapter eight in verses 19 through 25, I'm not going to read all of it to you, but he takes time to talk about how sin has damaged the world. And, and he's just writing all this out. And he's talking about everything in the world has lost its original purpose. Everything in the world is suffering. Everything in the world is in pain. And he's, he's spelling all these things out. It's almost like he's talking about the world being frustrated. And in Romans 8 verse 20, it says, everything created is subject to frustration waiting to be liberated from its bondage to decay. All of creation groans in pain like childbirth, and we groan inwardly. Paul is saying right here, life is tough, it's difficult, it's not always easy, and sometimes it's extremely hard. And, and we, we may be in a bitter season, but Paul is showing us that even the environment is groaning. Like, I think about hurricanes and earthquakes and all that. It, you know, I think it's what Paul was talking about in Romans 8, that the whole world is groaning. 
and, and, and not only the whole world and not only do we groan inwardly, but, but the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit doing that as well on our behalf, like a groaning that, that doesn't come with words, that we, we're not even able to articulate. And a lot of this has to do with pain that we go through because we live in a fallen world. A lot of us, we, we struggle with bitterness, and the reason we struggle with bitterness is because we're going through a difficult season, and while we're in a difficult season, we're comparing our difficult season with somebody else's highlight reel. We're, we're, we're taking, like, we're, we're in a tough, tough season. And, and so, and in the tough season, we start saying, well, they make more money than me. And they live in a nicer neighborhood. Or they, they got nicer things. Their kids don't act crazy like my kids. Their spouse is nice. Her husband looks like he came right out of GQ. My husband looks like he came right out of DQ. I stole that one. It was worth stealing. And so we go through these bitter seeds. Worship team, y'all can come. You help me shut up and not say things like that. So we got to learn how to deal with this, this weapon of self-destruction that we call bitterness. And, and in those bitter seasons, we got to remind ourselves that God is good, that he's in control. And because we live in a broken world, we have bad days. And there's going to be times you have to drink a cup of sorrow that you don't understand, you can't explain, you don't have the answer to. And it's in that moment you got to remind yourself God is good and God is in control. Pain in your life is not optional, but bitterness is. Pain's not optional. I mean, I mean you're, you're going to have pain. You're going to have suffering. But bitterness is an option. I can choose to be bitter or I can choose to be better. That's a decision that I get to make. And it's not, watch it, it's not just, well, I'm just going to bring it into existence in my own strength. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit can raise Jesus up out of the, the grave, and raise him up and he's now living on the inside of me surely he can help me to choose to be better instead of bitter surely he can help me make that decision it says in Romans 8 verse 26 in the same way the spirit helps us in our weaknesses I love this man we do not know what we ought to pray but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Did you know there's a prayer that doesn't have words? It's a prayer of the Holy Spirit's praying in you and through you. And though you may not have the words, there's a groaning in you. The Holy Spirit is doing something. I, I love this. He says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Man, I could throw a podium right here. This one pumps me up. Because what I learned from this is that, number one, the Holy Spirit is praying for me. Think of it. Isn't that cool? Like, the Holy Spirit's praying for you. The second thing I see in, in, in Romans 8, because look at Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. So 
The second thing I see here, God is using whatever I'm going through for my good. The Holy Spirit's praying for me, and what I'm going through, God's gonna use it for my good. I want you to hear me. I didn't say what you're going through is good. I'm saying what you're going through, God's gonna use for good. There's a big difference. We go through terrible seasons that are not good, but if we have long-term thinking and we hang in there, God's gonna take that bitter season and turn it into a better season. The third thing he says or, or, that we see from that is that God wants me to, su to succeed. Man, I, so many people don't even know that God is for them. Now, look, look at this verse, Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? What's Paul talking? All these terrible things, like all this stuff that I'm going through. What, what am I to say in response to all that mess? If God be for us, who can be against us? That, that, that's what he said. Like, that's what I say to it. If God's for me, then who can be against me? Fourth thing I see in, in, in Romans 8 here, Romans 8, 32, it says, Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God, who gave us Christ, give us everything else? That tells me God will give me exactly what I need when I need it. Exactly what I need when I need it. So I, I have to choose to remind myself that God is good and God is in control. The boss man jumps on to me Monday morning. God is good, God is in control. Struggling in our marriage, God is good, God's in control. Kid acting a fool, God is good, and God is in control. I got a bad doctor's report, God is good, and God is in control. I don't have enough money for the month, God is good, and God is in control. God is gonna use my negative season. Oh, come on, somebody. He's going to use it for my good because my God does not want me to fail. My God wants me to succeed. So I'm going to hang in there and choose to remind myself God is good and God is in control. Come on, if you believe it today. Man, I feel that today. He's good and he's in control. Stay on your feet. I'll just give you this seventh one. I have to trust God will never stop loving me. This helps me overcome insecurity. The reason a lot of people struggle with knowing that God will never stop loving them is because they've been rejected by people. They've been rejected by a parent, a sibling, a friend, a boss. They have experienced some kind of rejection in their life where somebody, you know, just said no whatever that looked like. And what happens is, is, is a lot of times when we, when we endure rejection, it produces insecurity. And so when we come into a relationship with God, we project that rejection and that insecurity onto our Heavenly Father. And, and, and we, don't, we don't even trust Him. So it, it keeps the insecurity going in our life. But you have to understand that God will never Come on, hit two people and tell them never. Come on, find two more people and tell them never. God will never stop loving you. 
it will never happen. You may have been rejected by every person you've ever been close to, but God will never reject you. He is for you and not against you. I'm convinced, Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from his love. Death can't, life can't, the angels can't, and demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Woo! Nothing. Man. I want you to bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. No one looking around. I want to speak to that person that's here today that would say, I'm not in relationship with Jesus. Pastor, I need to have my sins forgiven. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to make sure that I'm in right relationship with God before I leave this place today. I understand that he's for me. He's not against me. And I want to make him my Lord, my Savior. If that is you today and you're in this room, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, that's me. I need Jesus today. Thanks for this hand here, that one back there. God bless you. That one there. God bless you. And just in this section, one over here. Awesome. Four there. Four total here. Five more online. That's awesome. Oh, I see some hands here. God bless you guys. Awesome. Awesome. Every voice lifted as we welcome people into the family of God. Come on, everybody say it out loud so you can hear it with your own ears. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you. In the name of Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you to forgive me, come into my heart, be my Lord and my savior. I confess you as my personal savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give all those people a big hand. something from the Word of God that'll help you. Amen? That's what it's all about. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.